What's the single best sign that your nonprofit is thriving? A, an engaged board. B, low overhead. C, a dynamic executive director. Or D, none of the above. So what is the best sign that your nonprofit is thriving? Get the answer at thrivingnonprofit.org. That's thrivingnonprofit.org. I came into 2021 kind of annoyed. Annoyed that nonprofit leaders and their remarkable heroics in 2020 didn't get the spotlight or the recognition they deserved. We all fussed in 2020 about the dearth of leadership in our society. I think folks were just looking in the wrong place. Overlooking leaders around this country who educate, advocate, feed the hungry, provide shelter, bring beauty through the arts, lead congregations to help us keep the faith. All of these people right here in front of our eyes. I see it every day and it makes me kind of angry that others don't. Or worse still, we talk about staff, board, and volunteers of these nonprofits, the backbone of our society. We talk about these people as nice. Nice really rubs me the wrong way. It feels really passive to me. Now, kindness is a word I can embrace, but I don't know that I had ever spent that much time thinking about the distinction between the two until I watched a documentary on Amazon Prime. The film, The Antidote, offered me an aha moment, and I just love a good aha moment. You see, I learned that the reason I embrace the word kindness is that it implies action. It requires commitment. And in this documentary, we see through stories beautifully told by my friend and six-time Emmy winner, John Huffman, that kindness may be thought of as something gentle, but it has real strength. John says that kindness is a weapon for change. One of the heroes he spotlights in the film says, quote, kindness is a practice. Kindness is a stance, end quote. And so today I want you to meet my friend, John. He and I both know this to be true. Kindness may not be the ultimate antidote, and it's not actually something special. You can drop into any community at any time and find it blossoming, and you'll find those leaders who are practicing it every day. John's journey, developing the idea and bringing it to life, is as instructive and as inspiring as the film itself. I feel lucky indeed to be able to introduce you to my friend John and grateful that he is game to share his story with you. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. Learn more at joangary.com. I'm a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. John Hoffman is a six-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker whose most recent films include Rancher, Farmer, Fisherman, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2017, and Out of Many One, which premiered at the New York Film Festival, followed by Netflix in 2018. Much of John's work as a filmmaker has focused on the key health issues of our time, including the weight of the nation, addiction, 
and the Alzheimer's Project, all on HBO, and First in Human on Discovery, a six-hour series set in the world's largest research hospital, the NIH's Building 10. In addition to making films, John has also been a network executive. He was the EVP of Docs and Specials for Discovery from 2015 to 2018, and uh, after nearly two decades as VP of Documentary Programming at HBO. Not in John's bio is that he was instrumental in persuading me that I needed to leave corporate America and become a nonprofit executive director. He may take some degree of pride in that, but it is far exceeded by the gratitude I feel for what became a complete personal and professional transformation for me. So, John, welcome, and I am just not sure I can ever repay you for the art of persuasion that was on display during a lovely brunch at our home oh so many years ago. Hi, John. Hi, Joan. It's really wonderful to be with you, and I am so proud of you and all that you have accomplished um, in the time that we've known each other, um, but the, the tremendous evolution um, of your sort of career and your, um, your um, understanding and leadership in the worlds of nonprofits. So um, my hat to you for all you are doing now. Well, it seems like you got to have a piece of my hat. <laughs> um, so, um, so let's pick up your story about the making of this film from the point at which you and your team became kind of hyper-focused on this word kindness and how you might explore it in a documentary. I guess you had to kind of define it first. Why don't you tell us about the process? Well, in the... Um, in the, in the 2016, 2017, but very much in 2018, I, I was um, very, very disturbed, as so many people were, by the growing divisiveness in the country um, and outright um, hatred that was being expressed uh, in so many ways in the country. And I had the incredible good fortune of having a relationship with uh, a, a nonprofit health system called Dignity Health. Uh, they had funded, um, in a very generous way, some public health work that I uh, was doing when I left HBO, um, when I created a nonprofit media company called The Public Good Projects. And I was with the CEO, Lloyd Dean, of Dignity Health, and uh, their motto is Hello Human Kindness. And I was having a very interesting conversation with him and his senior leadership about this strong commitment. Um, as a nonprofit health provider, to kindness and how authentic it was. And I said, would you ever consider doing a documentary about kindness? And Lloyd Dean said, talk about that. And that led to more conversation and eventually led just on that word uh, to them giving the principal funding for what became The Antidote. Um, total editorial control. Um, it was literally a vote of confidence in me um, to uh, make a film on that word. Not a big um, risk, though, really. Not a big risk. And so I put together a small team, and I found a remarkable co-director, Kahani Cooperman, um, who was nominated for the Academy Award for a short film that she did called Joe's Violin, a beautiful, beautiful short documentary. Um, and we started on a journey um, 
we read everything we could about kindness and compassion and empathy and decency put from a point of view of art and poetry and economics and political theory and evolution. Um, we found, you know, we just absorbed so much. And we quickly came to the realization that the world does not need any more exploration of random acts of kindness. That, you know, there's so many media platforms that, um, and social media is loves stories of random acts of kindness. Um, but we had come to really feel committed to making a film that, uh, would be a, 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 a contribution to a conversation about the problems we're facing and yeah. what are the forces, while there's so much focus on the forces that are dividing us, what are the forces for good in our community? Um, and so we're absorbing all this and we're getting a little too sort of full with all this theory and, 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 um, sort of rhetoric, and we were in this house where I am right now, um, on a little staff retreat, and I said, let's just, let's just put it all aside. Let's put all what we've been thinking about and talking about aside, and let's do a visioning exercise. Let's project to the world uh, that you know, we're premiering into. What do we want you know, people to you know, think about when, you know, after watching this film, are there questions that, you know, we want to have answered you know, mm. for the audience? And so there's a vision exercise. And so we started talking and it wasn't long before we came up with a list of really simple, simple questions that we felt that we should answer. Okay. How do we raise our children? How do we teach our children? How do we take care of the sick and the dying? How do we live and work together? How do we welcome the stranger? And how do we lead? Those are and, good questions. <laughs> and we knew that we didn't want, it's not a question of finding one-to-one -one correlation stories that are just about how do we raise our children. It became and kind we, of a matrix kind of thing? Well, it became, yeah, a matrix and a, and a you know, lenses that we would look through. And mm -hmm. we felt, okay, this sort of covers the lifespan. We wanted to film. We knew that one story couldn't ever capture all that we had been thinking about when we were thinking about kindness and decency and empathy and compassion, you know, and, and goodness. Um, so we thought, okay, that sort of covers the lifespan and it covers the mm -hmm. world that we move through. You think about it. Um, it's... The talks, it's, it's the family environment, it's the work environment, it's the communities that we live in. Um, and as I said, it's a lifespan. And it was a, just, it was a breakthrough moment creatively for us. Uh -huh. And it started shaping the way that we felt we could look for stories about raising children, about education, about healthcare, in which kindness and decency, compassion, are at the front of the decision-making, that they really are shaping with great, great sort of awareness by the leadership. How do we lead the, the sort of the values of, of, a, of an organization, the values of a nonprofit? Um, and it wasn't long after that 
and we were felt you know that this is enormously helpful that Charlottesville happened. Oh, okay. And it rocked our world like it rocked so many people's world. And it was this sort of, you know, you know, this awakening that, you know, the world we're living in um, is, is, is so much more sort of divided and, and conflicted um, and in some respects dangerous um, than, than maybe we had really um, been thinking about in those months. And it really forced us to, to reevaluate the film and the approach we wanted to take. And so we, and we said we have to, if we're going to make a film in this time, we have to demonstrate an awareness of the world that we're living in. It's, 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 it's not enough just to find a beautiful story about raising children. There has to, we have to demonstrate to the audience that we're aware of how bad it is for some people in this country. Um, or, or maybe unkind, like sort of, you mean something about the unkindness so, of things. So, so John, um, very, very insightful uh, on your part. We arrived at what we call um, a set of fundamental unkindnesses. Huh. As much as we were looking for stories that you know, sort of exemplified and, and, and answered the question, how do we raise our children? How do we teach our children? How do we live and work together? How do we welcome a stranger? That we needed to demonstrate and we needed to find stories that were actively working against fundamental unkindnesses. It is fundamentally unkind to not have a safe place to sleep. It is fundamentally unkind to not have access to health care. It is fundamentally unkind to not be paid a living wage. And the injustices of racism, sexism, and homophobia are just fundamentally unkind. And so we felt that what we were then looking for were stories of raising children, stories of teaching children, stories of healthcare that were all trying and all created with an awareness and a commitment to writing these unkindnesses, to addressing these fundamental unkindnesses. And that became the way that we found the stories in the antidote. So I'm curious, you described such a a generative uh, discussion, series of discussions that you and your team had around this before you you even went looking for the stories because you had to figure out which stories to go looking for. I guess I was just actually curious as a... um, so as we kind of pull back the curtain and hear this story about your visioning exercise, I'm actually curious, as a documentary filmmaker, is this the kind of process you would typically do? Or was this unique because of you were actually kind of exploring a word and everything that it carries? I, look, I, I think that every film, you write the, you write the rules, you, you, know, you, you write the, 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 the playbook as you go. Uh-huh. Yes, there are tropes that you might fall into if you're doing true crime, you know, or you're doing, you know, a historical doc. And, but this was pretty unique. We did have the great fortune of, of, of generous funding. Yep. Gave us the time to do that thinking. It was, it was incredibly, you know, it was just good fortune that we had the time 
to do such thinking um, because we were making a film about a notion. Yes. <laughs> or a, 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 a state of, of, of being. And it was, but then we had, we had, but we're making a documentary. You, we're making, you need to find stories. You need to develop characters. You need to, you know, you need to use this power of storytelling to change hearts and minds, you know, and that's, that's the, the goal. And that's the, that's the power of documentary. Right. Um, right. And the power of documentary was also to take, people places they otherwise wouldn't go to meet people they otherwise wouldn't meet Um, and so you know how do you then you know if that's the art form you're you're working in how do you define how do you rein in something that is as sort of diffuse as as kindness um so Uh, let me ask a question was the was the nonprofit sector the obvious place to go looking for this kind of uh, kindness that is sustainable or not sort of not the random acts of kindness? Was it always clear to you from the beginning that these story you were going to find these stories in the nonprofit sector, or was that was I'm sort of curious what assumptions you made about where you were going to find the stories? You know, some of our stories are set in a school, so I, I don't right. know. That- well, as a nonprofit, um, but uh, it is, it is, it was clear that we are going to find ourselves in the organizations and institutions that are forces for good in our community. So those are educational institutions, those are healthcare institutions, and those are, to a great extent, the nonprofits that have been created to do the work that often the government does not have. The, capacity or is necessarily the appropriate institution to do the work, but renders, you know, the, the, the sort of, you know, gives the nonprofit status to an institution because of their capacity to do some of that work that maybe right. society otherwise would bear the responsibility. So that's my understanding of nonprofits. Yep. So the very notion of that is a rather beautiful one. I think it's one of the strong characteristics of, of, of American culture in terms of our recognition of that. And therefore, this film was clearly going to lean in to, to that in its, you know, in its most fundamental way. And, and, and as someone who has started two nonprofits in, in his life and has had to really understand you know, what makes it a nonprofit, um, that's something that I, is, it, it has always um, it's because I started my first nonprofit when I was 25. It, I carry that with me. It is part of who I am. So yep. that is not the text for some of these stories, mm-hmm. but it's deliberately some of the subtext. So you landed on this diverse group of stories, like diverse in every sense. Amarillo College in Texas that helps students overcome social and financial barriers for students. You focus on this remarkable single mom and her success. There's the story of Dr. Jim O'Connell from the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. He treats homeless patients on the streets, in parks and train stations. Um, Bridge Meadows in Portland, Oregon, where elderly people, this one is just like goosebump stuff. Bridge Meadows in Portland, Oregon, where elderly people 
youth and foster care and their adoptive families live together in this like astonishing intergenerational community, one that meets so many different needs for each member of that community. Oh my gosh. How did you, how did you decide on the stories to highlight? You narrow it down. You had to narrow it down, right? Well, there's a story behind every story. Some of them, you know, but as you look, we're, we're communicators. We're, you know, we have social lives. We talk to our friends and our friends hopefully have shared values and that's why they're friends. So you tell them what you're doing. They say, oh, you, do you, have you ever heard of? And uh-huh. that's how, you know, so Center for Discovery um, in Sullivan County, New York, which is New York State's largest um, residential program for developmentally disabled uh, teenagers and adults, or I, I think it's better called differently abled teenagers and adults. Um, yep. You know, the head of development for the Center for Discovery is the brother of one of, you know, the people I respect most in the world, Ruth Wooden, who uh, uh, is was the founder of uh, Public Agenda, is on the board of Demos, is on the board of Encore, is on the board of Mer- Blue Meridian. I mean, she's just, she's just ubiquitous in the world of philanthropy and, and, and nonprofits. And her brother is the head of development. And she said, you've got to go. I'm taking you there. And it was, it was just, it was the first place we went um, when looking for stories. And it did set the tone. I mean, it really, the bar it was set very high when we found Center for Discovery. Right. Um, we found because when we met, we were in Boston to meet Jim O'Connell, the head of communications for the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. And he says, you know, there was an article in the, in the Boston Globe about this intergenerational community, you know, outside of Springfield, Massachusetts. Have, you know, and it's where their foster families raising foster children, elderly are, are you know, living together in, you know, in subsidized housing. And it's just this beautiful model of intergenerational living. And so we went, but it just so happened that, you know, all the kids had sort of grown up and were off to college. And so none of the little kids, there's no little kids around. But they said, oh, you know, there's the community. This model has the same model in Portland, Oregon. So we're off to Portland. And Bridge Meadows, you, know, you have all those young children around. And, you know, it's just remarkable. And that is, you know, that is a story of, of just unbelievably good government. Portland, city of Portland built subsidized housing for uh, low-income families that are raising foster children, and they have subsidized housing for low-income seniors. Let's put them together. And, Let's put them together. And, that's, and then the magic happens. Right. So um, it's just great. It's just good, smart government. Um, anyway, so there's a story behind every story, Jim. Got it. Um, so you connected deeply with all of these organizations and met remarkable leaders, right? One of your six six questions, not to be confused with the four from Passover, but one of the six questions was what does it take to lead or what does it mean to lead? How do you lead? And how, how do we lead? And... Um, the different the organization that worked with differently abled uh, folks in Sullivan County. Uh, there's a spotlight on one of the um, one of the kids, I guess, kids, one of the young girls who um, who rides a chair, and um, it is very clear that 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 space, that environment, 
has catalyzed her into someone who wants to lead an activist. Um, I found that very powerful. Um, and we're uh, being listened to by people who lead every day, somewhere, someplace. Um, and um, I would love f- for them to hear from you about what you learned about leadership from this journey. Um, what did you learn about the attributes of a leader? It's, a, it's a, such an important question, and it's such an important uh, topic right now in this country. I think that we have all, um, because of the national leadership that we have witnessed over the past um, number of years um, and continues now with um, ongoing um, division and ongoing inability to communicate um, and inability to cooperate. Um, so it was um, important to us to, to talk about leadership um, and, and to find just wonderful people to hold up as great leaders. If there's something that, look, we're making a film about kindness, decency, and the power of community. So all these leaders that you meet in The Antidote have tremendous uh, intentionality when it comes to kindness, decency, and the power of community. And this word uh, intentionality is something that I I, want to stress because um, when we started reaching out to um, the people that you, the leaders, to gain access, they had to trust us to let our cameras in, to let our cameras into a a community of of elders, but more importantly, to a community that's raising foster children. Yeah. Tremendous in the process of putting people on the consenting process and then the relationship you have to build, it's all about trust. So every, everything you see when watching the antidote, just think as you're watching about how everybody had to develop a trusting, trusted relationship with us. Right. But in those conversations with, you know, Dorenda at who runs, you know, Bridge Meadows or Patrick who runs the kind of center for discovery, we started hearing the word intention. People <laughs> They're using when they're talking about, they don't know us. We're just getting to know them. We're asking about the philosophy. Um, we're asking about how, you know, different aspects of the work came about. And this word intentional, it, with, it, with intention, intentionality, it just keeps showing, it kept showing up. <laughs> um, by then, obviously, we were not introducing, we were hearing it. Right. Um, and so I think that in terms of leadership, it is the intentionality of, of prioritizing kindness and decency. It, it, is, it, is, it is putting tremendous thought into compassion, into empathy. Um, and, it's, and these leaders all um, speak so beautifully about how you know, intentional their, their practices are. And how it shapes you know, their leadership with their staffs. It shapes the values that they bring to their programs and how they, you know, provide services to people, whether it's healthcare to the to the homeless. I mean, you know, if you think about, you know, the the foot care clinic in Boston, you know, this 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 clinic where the homeless come off the street in from the cold, the snow, the rain, 
um, and they have a warm place to have their feet bathed and inspected. And if that's not, you know, intentionality in terms of thinking all the way through of the, the healthcare providers are at the feet of the people they're serving, calling them by their name. And you hear the way that the staff and the nurse who runs this clinic talks about how all of that is thought through and how this is the way that you are breaking down the barriers and the defenses that these people live with to protect themselves. But then how you're building that, talk about trust, you're building that trusting relationship. And then you possibly can move these people into higher levels of healthcare, higher levels of housing supports, et cetera. But it is starting at the very bottom. It's starting literally. literally. Um, and that's the religious sort of you know, overtones of, of the washing of the feet um, can't be you know, escaped. <laughs> um, but I, I just think that you're asking me a question about leadership. Yeah. So, so we're hearing, I'm hearing intentionality, right? So part of that is, part of thinking through every step of that is now, and now I'll take the metaphor uh, a step further and say, in order to do that, you actually have to put yourself in the shoes of that other person and what they, what they need, what they're anxious about, Right. And and so every step of the way um, is a uh, an ability to um, look outside yourself and really uh, uh, work as hard as you can to really understand the situation of that stranger, as you described in one of your questions. So so that's one you uh, you you. you well, there are other other attributes you must, that I, I that no, no doubt stood out for you. Well, I think listening, and, and these are they're so simple. What I'm saying, right? What we saw, what we witnessed, and what you see in the in the film um, is a the power of of listening. Something else that is there um, is the power of touch. Um, mm. See that. The, the humanizing effect of simple touch that you we we put our cameras started finding and noticing how uh, important it was for so many of the people that are being served in in the film whether they are the homeless whether they are the differently abled that there is this power and this healing power of of touch and the elevating power of listening. Is that the touch piece, which of course is a um, fascinating to consider, given we've spent the last year not really doing a whole lot of touching, um, is is the root of that about being seen? Yes, yes. I mean, you think about Khadija, who you mentioned earlier, who is uh, this remarkable young woman at the Center for Discovery, um, and the the scenes with her and her, you know, her aid with her friends, the dancing that goes on, you know, the, 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 these are people who, this is a, a, a young black woman who's 21 years old, 
who at the age of eight moves into the Center for Discovery. Um, and before that had been in a, a, an institutional uh, congregate living setting in New York City. Mm-hmm. So her whole life she has you know, lived in, in group home environments. Um, but emerges as this superstar in terms of leadership ability on her own, artistic ability. Um, and it is because she as somebody who in, in many other environments would not be seen. People would, you know, sort of a wheelchair, a young, uh, differently abled woman in a wheelchair so often the stigma, stigma, stigma that they, such people receive, it makes them feel unseen. Right. So the, the way that the center, in every respect, by creating a, a, a small little town, Hurleyville, you know, this kind of brigadoon kind of environment where, you know, the, the differently abled and the abled community are so beautifully integrated. Right. Uh, and... So she's in a tango dance class in the town, you know, with able-bodied adults. Um, and it just, you know, just makes your heart just, just, just swell when you see, uh, see that. But that the leadership recognized that she has this leadership ability. And so they, uh, you know, in the film, you see that she's going to, they're thinking of inviting her to be on the board. Well, she's now on the board. I'm sure she is. Yes. Um, yeah. They're all the better for it. Right. During COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my book, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is now in paperback, and you can learn more at book.joangary.com. So we're talking about kindness. We're talking with John Hoffman, who is a six-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker. Uh, his credentials uh, go on and on. Uh, but today he, we are talking to him wearing the hat as the executive producer of a film that you can find on Amazon Prime called The Antidote. Um, and yes, we're talking about his film, but we're really talking about the themes that um, serve as the underpinning for this film and about the people that he met and what he learned along the way. Um, I'd like to, to, to bring to life one of the people that you met um, and sort of tell that story just so that we can, so we can tease out some of the things that you've talked about with regard to the attributes of leadership. And I, I want to mark this for myself. Um, just thinking about, there's a, there's a feeling that I have that leaders also demonstrate something or exude something that makes you want to follow them. And so I want to think about that as you talk about, um, you, your buddy, uh, who, uh, the, who with, who's, who engaged with young people and the bike shop. Yaman Harges. Tell, tell folks his story a little bit. He's the, he's the, he's the, he's the, he's the, the key listening guy, I think, actually. Right. Diamond Harges, um, his official 
uh, title is The Roving Listener. Um, <laughs> he'll give you his business card. It's Diamond Hardest Roving Listener. Totally serious. We, heard, we were um, told about Diamond um, by the pastor, the then pastor of uh, Broadway Methodist Church in Indianapolis, uh-huh. Mike Mather. Uh, who said, you, you're making a film about kindness and decency you need to know about and you need to meet Diamond. Diamond uh, worked, was hired by Mike um, as a community organizer for Broadway Methodist Church. Um, Indianapolis is a, you know, a, a, a city with um, you know, a, a complicated racial history um, with uh, a racial, significant racial wealth gap. Um, and Diamond, a um, black community organizer uh, for Broadway Methodist Church, which is not part of the story. This is just the backstory. Um, okay. Uh, has um, developed a, a, a remarkable philosophy uh, of service to others. Um, he set out, he gets his job, he starts going door to door in his, his predominantly black neighborhood. And, you know, those that opened their door to him, um, he would, you know, say as community organizer, you know, what do you need? You know, how can I help you? And he got nowhere. He was getting nowhere. So one day, an elderly woman lets him in and serves him a piece of pie. And he's like, so and so, you know, this is great pie. Um, and he says, you know, if we had a sale, could you make these pies? And she says, sure. So then, a little time goes by, and he visits another, you know, older uh, woman in the neighborhood, and she takes him back to his her garden behind her house. And he's like, this is an amazing garden. If I brought some kids from the neighborhood, would you teach them how to garden? And she says, sure. And he realized that he had the, his approach was completely wrong. Okay. That when, if you ask people what they need, they shut down. If you ask people what they have to give, they open up. And so he developed an entire philosophy of social service that is about celebrating people's gifts and talents. Hmm. It's his entire orientation to everything he does is how do we celebrate people for their gifts and their talents, no matter who they are. So as the roving listener, it is his job to discover everyone's gifts and talents because he operates in the belief that everybody has gifts and talents. You just have to help find them. Right. Um, and that's the listening part. Okay. Right. Um, so in The Antidote, um, we spend time in the biker girls and biker boys shop, which is in the garage, uh, in his, you know, behind a house in his neighborhood on a busy street. And because Diamond saw the kids, the, you know, the, the 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids in summer just riding their bikes all over the neighborhood. But, you know, was there something about their summers that was, and their after-school day you know, hours 
that was organized and was, you know, with direction and, and, and was elevating them and celebrating their gifts and their talents. And he realized these kids love bikes and they like to tinker on bikes. So let's give them a bike shop. That's going to be their bike shop. And they're going to be co-owners in that bike shop. And he has a nonprofit that he created called the Learning Tree. Wonderful story that, you know, at another time we can talk about or you can find on the website for the Learning Tree, inspired by his grandfather who had a tree in his yard that he would gather the community around. That was the Learning Tree. So he named his nonprofit after the Learning Tree of his grandfather. Um, And with a $500 investment, you know, and bikes donated by the police department that are unclaimed bikes that are in the basement of the, you know, the police station. Um, they're rebuilding bikes and selling those bikes and occupying these kids. And the kids are learning about leadership. They're learning skills. They're learning cooperation. They're learning about community. Um, and so he's discovering the gifts and talents of all these kids. Um, and there's a scene that I just hope everyone obviously is going to watch the antidote, but there's a scene that that story begins with that, you know, it, it, it says everything about Diamond. It says everything about leadership and it's Diamond in the early morning, walking to the bike shop with three young girls, probably, you know, 11, 12 years old. And it's this conversation, this morning light, as they're walking through uh, this relatively, you know, challenged neighborhood of, of Indianapolis. But they're talking about their mothers. He's asking them to tell, tell him about what their mothers teach them. What do they learn from their mothers? Hmm. And he's bringing out the best in them. He's bringing out and having them talk about the best of their mothers. Um, and it's just a beautiful conversation, but it's a conversation about how do you get people to talk about themselves and feel good about themselves, good about their families. Um, when so often, you know, you're asked about what's wrong, not what's right. Um, he's the, in the open of this podcast, he's the person that talked about kindness as a practice and a stance, um, he, it seemed as though almost everything that came out of his mouth was sort of, you found yourself just going, yes, that's so true. Um, that's so right. And, um, uh, and I, I want to just stay with him or some of the others. And what is it you think, um, as I, I said a few minutes ago, this notion that people, you know, right, you're only a leader. Like there's a there's a TED talk about something about the first follower is actually turned somebody into a leader, right? Is this like, and um, what do you think it is about a leader that makes people want to follow them? Because clearly, all of these people, you know, right, right to take Diamond just as an example, a perfect example. What is it about him that makes people want to be in his presence, to, 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 to engage with him, to follow him, to be in his orbit? Well, uh, first of all, he makes everybody feel that they're seen and they're heard. Okay? Yep. He makes them feel 
good about who they are. Um, and so that's who doesn't want to be around somebody who, you know, who, who sees you and who elevates you. Whenever you're around them, you feel that you are being elevated. Um, but I, I, you know, I think about um, the you know, Amarillo College, you know, that you, 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 mem- you also referenced. And Russell yeah. Lauer, who's the president, this is a community college for Amarillo. Um, it was failing um, in, in many regards um, in terms of their graduation rate. Um, Russell becomes the president and he has to do you know, a deep analysis about why, why, are, why do they have a, a sort of a low graduation rate. And Russell's story, which we discovered in, in The Atlantic, is, um, and, and the journey that he's been on in the past 10 years at Emerald College has been widely studied. Um, and uh, it's been studied by educators, people who study the world of ed- higher education at Stanford, uh, people at Temple. There's been a, a tremendous analysis of the leadership that Russell has brought to Amarillo College. So Russell identified um, in his analysis that the obstacles to education, success in education for the students at Emerald College, which the majority of them are first generation, the majority of them are young women in their 20s, many of them single mothers. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we are living in a society that, that in which everybody, everybody is drilled into everybody, that if you truly want to have, to, to, to have opportunity and, and if you are in poverty, rise out of poverty, it is higher education as one of the most important factors. So what is standing in the way of that? And what he learned is it has nothing to do with the classroom. It has everything to do with the social obstacles that these people are facing, which are the challenges primarily of poverty. So, Um, you know, it's interesting, if I may, is that um, there are people that would um, make that assessment and say, well, Okay, well, we can do the best we can do here at Amarillo College, but my goodness, those factors that actually keep people from success, I mean, that's just above my pay grade. Right. But Russell sees that his job as the president of a community college in the city of Amarillo is to provide the city of Amarillo with a capable workforce that is going to attract more and more businesses to Amarillo, which is going to make the city thrive, okay? There's a direct connection between his job and the viability and the growth of his city, okay? And yep. if he graduate students, then he, he does not have a workforce that is going to incentivize FedEx or whoever to create a hub in Amarillo. It's not right. going to because they're going to look at those metrics, okay? So... He educates the city. He educates the employers. He educates, you know, the, the civic leadership in terms of a buy-in that if they want an educated workforce coming out of the city of Amarillo so they could grow their city, they could attract 
attract more corporations, they can increase their tax base, etc., then they need to support him with the finances to help these students overcome these social obstacles right. graduation. That if a car repair is the thing that forces somebody to drop out of college, then why aren't we helping somebody with the, this sort of this momentary obstacle, this hurdle to get over? Help them get the money to get their car fixed so they can get back to college. And it was like he built, uh, there was sort of like a, a team of people. There were sort of a team, you saw it. They were a team of folks who addressed those kinds of issues. You have, we, we, we've got a situation here where somebody can't do X. Let's figure out how to help them do X, right? And, it, it, and there, was such a, there was such a spirit of collegiality among those, among those people because they knew that they were pushing these boulders. They, you know, they weren't the, the boulders weren't always big ones like car repair, right? But they were, they were helping these people push these boulders out of the road so that they had a, so that they had a clear shot right and they could, and you could see how meaningful the work was to them too well you see in the story in the moment where a woman who was a, 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 a Iraqi war vet with PTSD a middle-aged black woman who is going to lose her car because she uh, is not able to make her car payment this is our, she won't be able to continue with her education, which means she won't achieve that degree, which will enable her to have that job, which gives it, it provides her a living wage. Okay. So, you know, one of the fundamental kindnesses is not being paid a living wage. Well, in this country too often, you cannot get to a living wage without a college degree. So you see in real time, one of these social workers literally procure the money from a local church, take the check to the car lot and put it in the hands of the people that, you know, given this, you know, woman, uh, you know, her, her used car and she has a payment program and they chip in more money. Okay. Incredible, you know, great moment in Verite filmmaking where you see this guy, he has no idea who we are. He thinks we're from the local you know, college filming this. He has no incentive to, but there he is saying, you're doing this. You know what? It takes a village. I'm going to throw in money for this woman. She's a good woman. Um, and it's just a beautiful moment. But the culminating moment is this woman, Alicia, who is a single mother who um, was very close to committing suicide out of despair for not being able, be able to provide for her son and handle two jobs and going to college. Um, and the, you know, the resource center of the community college saved her um, and, and made sure that she was taken care of emotionally and financially. And she goes on to become, you know, valedictorian at the graduate. Yeah. yeah. She defines everything for the film about the power of kindness and decency. And, and, and just like the young woman at Bridge Meadows, you're cultivating, you're cultivating an environment that breeds leadership. Right. And I, I, it's, and I, and I just think too, when I was, we talk about leadership attributes and we're just about out of time, but I just, 
also just think that there's uh, there's something about connecting the dots, right? Seeing the big picture, like the president at Amarillo, you know, Amarillo or the, the folks at Bridge Meadows that realizes we're not just, we live in a community, we should be of the community, that there's a bigger picture view that a leader has, as well as um, maybe tenacity, but just sort of a, just an inability to sit idly by. Like, I feel like that's also a piece of the puzzle here. Each of those, each of those folks kind of connected dots and it just wasn't, it wasn't okay with them that something was unkind. It just wasn't okay. And um, uh, it's just a very powerful reminder of how much power we each own in being leaders, whatever that, whatever that looks like in our families, in our workplaces, or in society at large. And um, uh, just, um, yeah, really powerful. Um, I wanted to um, have one quick question, and then one I wanted to ask if you'd offer some uh, uh, parting words and advice. So it's not lost on me that there's this beautiful, beautiful thing that happens as we move from story to story in your film. Um, we don't actually, it's, it's, it's a lovely thing that clearly involves a drone. Like we, we seem to fly from Portland to Sullivan County or wherever. And um, uh, you use the word intentionality. I suspect there was some intentionality about that. It felt, it felt beautiful to watch, but there was a message there. I, I'm just guessing. Well, before I answer that directly, I, I want to point out something else that that was a decision um, sure. in the film, and that is an intentional choice. Um, you never see, in, in the world of documentary films, we have something that are called lower thirds. It's really, you know, the lower third of the screen, you put, you know, doctor. Yeah, 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 right, 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 right. You know, president, Boston Healthcare for Homes. Well, we didn't do that. We never tell you who these people are, and we never tell you the name of their organization. Um, yes. And that was, um, at first, just that, oh, you did those things later, but we were showing the film to people who we trust and respect to get their feedback, and we just hadn't done it. And one time we were watching it, and we said to people afterwards, did you miss it? And yeah, everyone, not, no. I didn't notice. Didn't, you know, And it became something very powerful for us because what it is is that why would you put the name and the title on there of, you know, uh, you know Patrick Dollard, who is, you know, the head of the Center for Discovery, but not put, you know, Khadidra's name. And what would you say she is? You know, uh, differently abled, you know, so we didn't, we, we felt like, you know, it's not important, you know, titles, education, you know, authority is not what this film is about. And you, and so there was, but we decided we're going to name the town like where you, you arrive, you're in Hurleyville, New York, or you're in Indianapolis, or you're in Portland. And to get there, we fly over the country with these beautiful shots of, that celebrate the, the beauty of this, of our landscapes of this country. And it is this idea, the, the idea is that you can sort of drop in anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we want to, we want the audience to feel, and I think it's very important in terms of the way the film could be used, 
um, by the nonprofit community and that's that's watching and listening to this, um, that the forces for good, the forces that bind our hold our communities together, are everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, the idea is that yes, there's nine stories here, but there are there are equally beautiful stories in all of our communities. You just have to notice them. You have to listen and you have to see them. And so, you know, we don't want, and none of the leaders who are in our film want to be seen or thought of as being exemplary. Um, and and they, they're not meant to be, you know, you know, special because we want people to feel that, you know, if you just scratch the surface, you know, in your own town, if you just look, if you just ask, you're going to find people who are equally dedicated, who are equally evolved in their thinking about leadership, about service, about the nonprofit world. Um, and so that was very important to us. Um, and that we hope that the film, when used locally, starts conversations about, okay, what do we have here? What, yeah. is, what are the forces for good in our community? And, I, and this, is, this notion of the forces for good um, is very important to me. Um, and because um, I just don't think that we take the time to really uh, examine all the incredible work that has, that, that has been done in our own communities to build up those service organizations. So as we, as we close out, I'll give you the last word here, John. I, now, I've really enjoyed this conversation very much. Um, and yes, being reminded that there are good people in the world uh, is a good thing, always, every day. Um, and many good people are listening and watching us. Um, clearly, we want them to see this film and in some ways see themselves in it as well, right? Um, uh what would you like a nonprofit leader to take away from this film? Well, one that they are um, they are absolutely part of the fabric of of, of their community um, and and the value and and that I hope that they feel valued. If they don't feel valued, I hope that we are you know the antidote um, is something that can be used to help them and help their community understand their work better, understand, right. you know, um, you know the, 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 the role that they play um, in lifting others up. Um, I, that is a phrase that we used all the time, um, lift others up. And mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, at a time when there are so many forces that are trying to tear things apart and, that there are so many efforts to make people feel devalued. Um, I think that anybody who, any, anybody who works in the nonprofit world that is involved in any way, shape, or form in lifting others up, they're, you know, they're clearly doing some of the most important work um, in, in, our, in our communities, in our society today, because... Um, for whatever collection of reasons, um, the act of, of, as I say, bringing people down, tearing uh, apart our society um, for political gain, um, is is just is just you know 
a growing, a growing problem. I think that with Biden's election, I think that we are, we are, there's a correction. Um, and I think that if we have, um, a different kind of leadership for a, literally a generation, I think right. it'll take that long. I don't think it'll take, you know, two administrations followed by a Harris, you know, two, two terms. I think that that's a generation. We then have a generation. I don't think that we'll see the effects of a different approach to leadership um, for a whole generation. Um, and, um, but I, I hope that people that listen to you feel that, as I say, they are a force for good um, that is so crucial right now. Um. I love the idea of using your film as a way to um, shine a spotlight on the work that our listeners do by reminding people, right? Reminding people that your community is what it is as a result of the numbers of people who raise their hand to be involved to the, all of you who can't sit idly by, that that's what makes a community. And I think that's a big message in John's film as well. So, um, and yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the front pages like to focus on uh, the glass being uh, not just half empty, but broken. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, John tells nine different stories of people who see that glass as beautiful and half full and imagines the possibility of other glasses. And uh, and uh, I think you will absolutely see yourselves in these films. And um, I hope you get a chance to go and um, see it. You don't even have to go to a movie theater. <laughs> Amazon Prime, The Antidote, executive producer John Hoffman. Um, thank you so much for um, digging into this project the way that you did. I, I, it, 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 it could have been different. It could have been simpler, more simplistic, but the layers to it make it a really powerful um, uh, a, a very powerful film and uh, I guess I would have expected nothing less from you. So John, my friend and our um, executive producer of this film, thank you so much for being uh, a guest today. Yes, John. Co-director. <laughs> Co-director. Sorry. Yes. Good. Um, thanks for the adjustment. And um, anyway, just wanted to say thanks. Thank you. Um, and uh, I, I really feel that you're doing just remarkable work to help nonprofit leaders um, uh, feel uh, supported and um, heard and uh, giving, giving them the chance to, to really grow and flourish and giving them the tools they need to grow and flourish. So good well, on thank you. Thank you, John. And in, uh, perhaps in this, we are, for many reasons, for many years, kindred spirits. So um, thanks again for joining us. And um, thanks to all of you for listening. And um, uh, I hope you found uh, John as uplifting as I did today. Um, and um, it's time for you to go, I guess, turn off your, uh, turn off the podcast and uh, go lift others up. And we'll okay. be right there with you. Right. Take good care. See you next time. Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. 
I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thanks for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.